Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for listening on. You could have been anywhere in the world and you decided to spend just a few moments of your precious time and we greatly appreciate it. Here on the podcast, we talk about three things, living a plant-powered lifestyle and enhancing emotional resilience and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview a range of passionate guests such as physicians, dietitians, coaches, entrepreneurs, and many more. And please join me as I deliver these engaging, informative, and high-valued conversations for you. And just remember, the first five seasons of the Thrive Bites podcast can now be found in the new The Chef Doc app, available in your Apple Store and Google Play stores. So what are you waiting for? Come on inside. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Thrive Outs Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and uh, thank you so much for joining on. Um, I have a great, great episode for you uh, today. Um, I'll be interviewing Betty Liu, who is the founder and CEO of Confetti Snacks, which is based in Singapore and New York City. Um, I love um, talking about you know this company's uh, mission and purpose, you know, driven. Um, aspects of it. And yes, at the end of the day, it's a nutrient, super dense, you know, vegetable snack company, but it's way, way more um, beyond that. And we get into concepts of diversity inclusion. We talk about the culinary landscape from her upbringing in Singapore, from her travel experiences, you know, why, you know, we talk about and touch upon um, topics of malnutrition, ending global hunger. So you don't want to miss this. She is a light and I can't wait for you to listen in and we will see you guys inside. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. You can have been anywhere in the world, and you decided to join us and share your precious moments with us, and we are greatly appreciative of that. Today's guest I'm super, super excited about. Her name is Betty Liu, and she is the founder and CEO of Confetti Snacks, which is venture-backed and based in Singapore and New York City. I'm super, super excited you know, for this um, confetti crafts award-winning tasty gourmet snacks made from nutrient-dense vegetables and exotic flavors inspired by scrumptious world flavors that celebrate diversity and inclusion. And we're definitely going to break this down. And we're going to go into, you know, what's the company's mission, but she is a top five finalist in Cartier's uh, Women's Initiative to Elevate Female Entrepreneurship and Global Changemakers. And she is a guest guest lecturer, panelist, and juror for case competitions in leading universities all over Singapore. So without further ado, please welcome Betty. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Colin. Hi, everyone. (laughs) We're excited to be here today. And thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so, so much. I really uh, greatly appreciate your time. I know that you are a busy woman. And so, you know, I value this conversation. So um, I'm super excited. Off camera, we've uh, kind of indirectly met each other, you know, through your company, you know, when we met each other at the expo, at a natural products expo. And I was really, really taken aback by how the mission, the purpose, and the overall arching theme of the company in terms of not just changing and um, being a formidable competitor in the snack aisle, but also 
you know, the broader sense. And so I would like to kind of go into the deeper question of, you know, what is, what was the light bulb moment that confetti fat, uh, confetti snacks was created and why create another snack <laughs> for the snack aisle? <laughs> yeah, great question. It's really excellent uh, to meet you in Expo West. You know, we got a lot of uh, great uh, feedback about the snacks. So yeah, just a, a, by means of a quick introduction, um, I used to come, uh, I, I'm from Singapore, which has uh, actually, you know, it's called the Lion City and we have a very strong food heritage, you know, um, and it's a melting pot of different cultures and culinary cuisines from around the world because of our strategic position near the equator between the East and West cultures. So it comes as a melting pot of different uh, food cultures and different uh, culinary cuisines that make Singapore itself. So why another snack company is really, um, it, it actually, the, the, the moment of Genesis was really from me being such a avid traveler. You know, I, I'm, I really pride myself on a nomadic existence for, for many years and, uh, being a very creative person, you know, exploring different cultures and different, uh, meeting different people from all walks of life is actually very helpful in my creative impetus, uh, to create great ideas. Um, I'm a huge foodie. I'm also a super taster, which is about one in four people in the world who have advanced uh, taste buds and sense of smells that um, usually allows them to be in the food industry um, or a perfumer in the, in the perfume industry. And um, I really wanted to create something that really delights people's taste buds. You know, going to all the different uh, countries, I realized that 95% of market share are an ocean of junk food. You know, they are all one color. It's all potato chips or extruded corn puffs, which nutritionally bankrupt. And they do not contribute to someone's health in any way. So uh, when I was hiking up the mountains of uh, British Columbia near to Whistler, I had the eureka moment where I was already very tired of uh, protein bars that tasted like cardboard and, you know, potato chips that gave me a sore throat. And also when you deep fry something, it actually releases a lot of carcinogens that is uh, cancer causing in the long run. So I, I just felt like, what if I could, design a, my own dream snack that is not only delicious, it tastes a lot better than junk potato chips, but it's so colorful, fun to eat. And more importantly, it doesn't give me a guilty feeling. You know, what if I could, you know, indulge as much as I want in um, real veggies and fruits in a really colorful, vibrant way, and also instill that kind of amazing cultures of the world to celebrate diversity and inclusion and, you know, pay homage to my own country, which is really, you know, Singapore is a melting pot of cultures. And I really want to pay tribute back to the world that has taught me so much. Mm. And yeah, this is a kind of a, a gift that I can also furnish back and hopefully uplift millions of consumers in the long run and bring more color into the snack out. Mm. I love that. I love that. So right off the bat, I share something with you is that I'm also an avid traveler um, as well. I've been blessed to be able to touch every continent on the planet. So I understand, you know, the, the, the experiences and the rich diversity of different, different cultures. And I'm a huge foodie myself. And to be able to have that eureka moment and, you know, when you're traveling, especially if you're hiking, you're backpacking, 
you're going off to different directions. It's not always convenient or even affordable to eat out all the time, right? To have a nice sit down dinner or lunch. And sometimes you want to bring things with you. So, you know, it's awesome that you've been able to kind of, you know, birth this idea while, you know, at the same time, be able to, you know, understand where, you know, most of, you know, the, the actual, you know, products lie and to be able to create this. So I'm really, really, you know, excited. So let's dive deeper into confetti uh, snacks and how is it different from its competitors? So you had mentioned about deep frying, right? And I'm total agreement in terms of when you're applying high heat, it actually creates more cardiosyngenic uh, uh, um, components. We call them age-related products, which can speed up the aging process. And so how is yours different in terms of, you know, the vegetables and from point A to point B when it arrives to the snack aisles? Yes, great question. And, you know, um, it's, it's amazing that you're an, uh, an avid traveler. And, you know, your philosophy, looking as food as medicine, resonates a lot. And I have a very strong belief on that as well. Um, like, why is 95% of market share and snacks made from potatoes and corn? It's just like two main ingredients and that's it. It's, a, you know, a whole ocean of like white foods out there which are not nutritionally benefiting in any way. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is, yes, look at food like medicine in the sense that different colors of the veggies that we use, um, like mushrooms or, you know, premium carrots or radishes or okra, um, we don't fry it, but we bake it at a very low temperature to maximize the nutrients. At the same time, we are a huge supporter of eating the colors of the rainbow because different colors have different phytonutrients and vitamins that are good for us. So take, for example, a carrot. You know, uh, it's, uh, it's really high in beta carotene and vitamin C, whereas uh, a shiitake mushroom that, you know, people really love in our brand is very high in different types of B vitamins. So different veggies have different colors uh, because they also... Uh, have different vitamins and minerals that are unique to that specific vegetable or fruit. So how can we elevate that further, make it taste, you know, even crunchier, lighter, more delicious than a potato chip without giving that disgusting, greasy mouthfeel that you get whenever you bite into uh, a potato junk food. So that's what we want to do. And, you know, how can we take it even further, right? I mean, I'm we are only in... I mean, in the course of my travels, I, I had near-death experiences. I actually mm. fell off, you know, the cliff when I was hiking in Himalayas in, in Nepal. Mm. I know that life is really transient and we are only in this planet for a short amount of time. Is mm. there any way that we can leave a legacy? You know, mm. can I build a company that can last for many generations after I've left this world and con continue to contribute to resolving major problems facing the world today? And, you know... One thing I really noticed when I traveled is that, you know, how can you, how can we have like half of edible produce in this world uh, thrown away every year, you know, simply because they are ugly or of a strange shape mm -hmm. or maybe due to crop surpluses that farmers can't predict exactly how much the supermarkets need because of all the failures and inefficiencies in our global agricultural uh, supply chains. Mm -hmm. uh, as a result, half of edible produce are thrown away every year, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, while 8.6 million people die from starvation or hunger each year because they can't even afford food on the table, like how can we solve these two major problems facing the world today and make a true difference? And being, uh, you know, starting a snack company is really helpful in the sense that I can take these 
perishable products that normally rot within one week. I can extend the shelf life of it by baking it into delicious, scrumptious, award-winning snacks mm-hmm. uh, and, and make the shelf life into one to two years instead to protect food security. Um, while we salvage food waste and elevate food to its best and mm. most powerful use, uh, we can also contribute part of our growth and our top line to feeding the hungriest people in the world. You know, facing refugee crises, genocide, war, um, political instability. You know, mm. we work closely with UNICEF, Red Cross and the World Food Programme to feed people in disaster zones so that they can survive another day. Mm. And as we scale this, you know, we can potentially save millions of lives and uh, elevate humanity. And that, that kind of legacy can last for many generations. And mm. that's the power of business. And I, I do feel like it can be used as a force for good. Yeah, yeah. And I know that, you know, your your company is, you know, part of the 1% for the planet. And that's a very, um, very bold initiative um, that got started a few years back. And um, it's great, you know, because you always hear about these companies, you know, giving back, but, you know, it, it, the way you break it down in terms of um, being able to complete the cycle, right? Um, because there's a lot of, you know, I don't know as much about the food agricultural system on your side of the world as I do, you know, in America. You know, in America, you know, as Americans, we waste any words from upwards of 40% um, of produce, everything from manufacturing to, you know, not throwing away the ugly, you know, produce to, you know, a lot of the refrigerator just going out to waste. And, you know, not only that, like you said, there's a, there's, you know, we face malnutrition from a, you know, surplus of, you know, caloric density, not nutritional density. And I like how you use the phrase nutrient bankruptcy, right? And so, and I love the fact that you're including the colors of the rainbow, you know, of all the different colors and all the different kinds of nutrients to be incorporated. So in terms of working with these nonprofits and charities, do you, you know, as part of the company, you know, try to make like a good portion of it, you know, towards, um, or how, like, can you break that down? down in terms of how how does you know your company uh, contribute towards that yeah great question colin okay so so more importantly is like if people grew up with potato chips and you know extruded corn puffs all their life it's already part of the american fabric in terms of like this is in a staple pantry uh, item so if we can recreate that and like instead of a pantry full of white foods that are nutritionally bankrupt we can add more colors into it and get people to eat actual veggies and fruit that would actually help uh, in the most fundamental way uh, to increase the health and the wellness of consumers in a very large way. Um, in terms of uh, our impacts for you know ending hunger, you know working with people who have logistical um, distribution to people who are facing severe malnutrition and they need emergency food aid, um, using those logistical partners can really help accelerate our impact. So what we do is we have donated to a lot of orphanages, you know, food banks, homeless shelters, um, UNICEF and Red Cross. Um, anytime we have something, um, you know, a part of our growth and our top line is dedicated towards that so we can provide the emergency food aid and really help the wellness of people who are really suffering from hunger and malnutrition. You know, even UNICEF, they have sacks of, you know, rice and they have uh, huge gunny sacks of, you know, rice and lentils and staples. But then where's the colour? You know, if we can actually give them huge gunny sacks of actual veggies that are baked already and have a much longer shelf life of one to two years, 
um, they can they can add it to the lentils and the rice that they eat and really um, survive another day. You know, a lot of um, children, when they have severe malnutrition growing up, it affects their connective uh, development and their brain development. And that, that is like permanent irreversible damage. Mm. So if, if we can, you know, not, <laughs> if we can give them, you know, fruits and veggies in a very shelf-stable way, um, and sometimes they just meet famine crises, right? Like pro- yeah. Prolonged drought in uh, Yemen and Ethiopia. They, they can't even get access to fresh produce. And now I have a solution that we can actually contribute these colors to them and mm-hmm. add it onto their staple so that they can have a more nutrient-dense upbringing through the childhood, which are really, really important years for their brain and physical development. You know, even in US itself, I'm really shocked because while well, half of Americans are obese or overweight, but at the same time, they're extremely um, malnourished. In the yeah. sense, someone can be very fat, but they can also be very malnourished. They're not yep. getting their vitamins. Less than 12% of Americans get their five servings recommended daily intake of vegetables every day and fruit. Uh, that's really shocking stats. Like less than yeah. 12% of this population, which is 350 million people, actually get enough servings of fruits and veggies a day. You know, it's a lot of hassle to buy fruits and veggies, wash them, cut them up, prepare a meal. Yeah. Yes, it takes time. Everyone is in a rush. Everyone needs to hustle and make a living. So is there any way I can give, you know, we can give people fruits and veggies in a very accessible way without uh, taking too much of their time? Yeah. Uh, and obviously you realize as well, living in LA, there's a lot of food deserts. And people who are more, more, more malnourished also have a lower income. They mm-hmm. can't afford all this expensive produce, organic produce. And as a result, they eat a lot of crap like junk food and fast food, which are not necessarily good for their health. So, you know, as a company, it's very important for us to scale. Then we can start having economies of scale to get the cost and the price down and make uh, veggies and fruits a lot more accessible to a wider demographic. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious from your from your upbringing and, you know, having been born and raised in America and without the traveling, I just feel like I would just be totally ignorant is a is a part of almost every like Singaporean's, you know, life is be able to kind of witness these different fabrics or different walks of life that you have mentioned in terms of, you know, being able to observe, you know, different types of uh, groups of people that are more not malnourished than another group, or, you know, you have mentioned refugees or people that are politically unstable. Is it because of your extensive traveling that you've been able to kind of, you know, absorb and witness these types of experiences? Or is it, you know, a commonality of every Singaporean to be able to see this because it is a melting pot, you know, of cultures? Yeah, great question, Colin. I, you know, I must say that most of my formative years uh, growing up in Singapore and being raised there um, is a very, very safe, protective bubble. And mm. um, it's one of the wealthiest countries in the world. I, I've never seen a homeless person before in my life, by the way, for 30 mm. over years. <laughs> and when I got to US for the first time, I was really, really shocked because, you know, mm. I, I smelled like, you know, Drugs are illegal in Singapore and, you know, just a small amount of like heroin would, would be a death penalty. So I've never actually seen like guns or drugs or homeless people at all for most mm. of my adult years. And wow. I didn't grow up with that. And I was really like really sheltered in a very protective bubble. And mm. that's a good, <laughs> that's a good thing, but there's challenges as well. It's only when I started traveling and visiting about, about 45 different countries, I can actually see that, you know, the world is is beautiful and ugly. There's so much mess around. There's so many people that need our help. 
And I, I couldn't have seen that because I had a really, you know, <laughs> Singapore as a place is really a privileged, sheltered mm. bubble. And it's really kind of insulated with the mess that happens anywhere else. You know, yes, you feel do. like you feel like you couldn't have done what you have done if you did not travel out of this bubble, huh? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, when I got, got to Nepal, people are living on less than like a dollar a day and they are one of the happiest people I've seen. They have so many problems. They have so much poverty. But at the same time, they are one of the happiest people in the world. And mm. the, the funny thing is when I travel to very wealthy countries like Switzerland or, or Singapore or even, you know, Manhattan, like there's first world problems there. And for some weird reason, the really wealthy people are always miserable all the time. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's, I, a par- I just, it's a paradox. It's a paradox, <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't have created this uh, company if I haven't actually seen how much people are suffering, you know, poverty-wise. And it all comes down to like, it's not the world that's not producing enough food. It's more like the food is not it's not used in an efficient way. There's, there mm. are problems and there are faults in the supply chain right now that can be fixed. You know, humans are a very intelligent species. Like, why are not we? Why are we not using our collective intelligence to resolve very big problems like that? Yeah. We can solve food insecurity and end hunger at the same time with the same clap. Just using free forces of business mm-hmm. and yeah, and and using that as a force for good. So yeah, I'm so grateful that I actually left my comfort bubble and actually mm-hmm. went to explore the world because without seeing all the hardship and the mess that we have. Um, and all the beauty, I wouldn't be actually inspired to start this company at all. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and I am here again. We're always giving back. Nature, being out there, traveling, globe trotting, you know, scuba diving is a huge passion of mine, especially before COVID. And I've been humbled and blessed to be able to touch every single continent on the planet and being able to witness firsthand climate change, whether that's, you know, uh, witnessing and observing bleached uh, coral reefs off of the Great Barrier Reef, off of Queensland, um, Australia, or just watching, you know, glaciers actually uh, tumble and fall and due to uh, global warming off of the Antarctic uh, Peninsula. And so it's a huge to be able to, being able to contribute and give back as a human being, as a global citizen, as a planetary steward. You know, I believe that everyone has a right and responsibility because they just live on planet Earth to be able to be conscious and give back and make conscious choices of, you know, understanding what their uh, footprint uh, means and what understand what their choices mean. So One Tree Planted is a nonprofit organization uh, dedicated mainly to help everyone plant trees and to better um, the environment. Their tagline is pretty much every product that is sold, especially um, every dollar that is um, you know contributed actually goes towards um, planting one tree on land. Their partnerships uh, span the globe and they partner with a lot of local communities to be able to do this with the hope of creating an impact for nature, people, and the wildlife. Reforestation helps to rebuild forests, especially after wildfire and it helps to rebuild homes um, after natural disasters, especially being able to uh, replant trees after natural disasters. And it also provides jobs for social impact. 
And what's really cool about them is that they make sure that their mission and vision aligns with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Sea Trees is a nonprofit organization based in California. Their parent organization, Sustainable Surf, uh, advocates and empowers others and inspire others to inspire actions that promote ocean um, health and also using that to reverse climate change. The ocean contains actually 90% of carbon of the global carbon cycle. And it's, you know, a lot of things that people don't know is that it actually sequesters a great amount of carbon dioxide than any other ecosystem on the planet. So Sea Trees helps to partner with local communities, brands, social entrepreneurs, and scientists that know how to regenerate ecosystems in our you know, oceans and rivers, lakes and, and tributaries. And if you wanted to learn more, please go to the new website, theshefdoc.app/backslash/socialresponsibility. And thank you very much, and I'll see you on the next one. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think, I think that that to me, that's the connective, um, you know, piece, you know, to everything, you know, because it's way beyond just snacks, right? We're talking about food insecurity. You've mentioned about social economic disparities. We have a huge issue with that in America and food deserts and food access. And yeah, why, why is it that, you know, we're one of the wealthiest, you know, places and yet, you know, we're just, you know, there's so many things wrong. So let's go, you know, a little bit deeper. Let's talk about the flavors. Let's talk about the diversity, right? You know, let's talk about the culinary part of, you know, your snack company. How did you go about it? You said that you were a super taster, right? Did you, you know, kind of invite and hire like an army of culinary chefs, you know, <laughs> from different, you know, um, you know, different groups, you know, to kind of come up with like, how, how did you come up with your initial line i'm sure you're going to have more but how did you come up with your initial line of flavors yeah great question colin it's been so fun uh, you know being a founder you have lots of fireballs every day you have like the most crushing devastating moments and then you have illuminating times in between that is like makes everything worthwhile and it's so beautiful and it's always a constant roller coaster of like exhilarating highs and really crushing lows that a lot of people wouldn't appreciate until you start your own their own thing and their own project. Yes. There's a lot on the line always and there's a lot of huge expectation and pressure to perform as a founder. And obviously I've I've undertaken this as a solo founder, which isn't easy. I have all kinds of different uh, challenges along the way, but I I appreciate every moment because it's a lot of lessons that I would never have learned from business school or from college. So yeah, to to start this up, you know, I am a very perfectionistic and competitive person. So I got the best minds on the table because um, every company is not a one-man show. You, you need an army of very talented, high-caliber people to execute on a vision. And the team is as good as the, the vision. You know, I, I'm only there to orchestrate everyone and bring people together and find the right skill sets that can meld together, work together as a collective unit so that we can actualize our vision to become a global snack brand. So, um, you know, I really owe the like where we are today 
you know, um, to this amazing team that we have. We have, an, you know, a globally recognized creative director who has uh, curated the brands for Honesty, which was sold to Coke, uh, Lesser Evil Food, you know, Super Coffee, which was invested by J-Lo and Alex Rodriguez. You know, so Michael Kravitz is really an amazing creative director. And uh, he, he actually designed the entire brand identity so that it really resonates emotionally with our end consumers and Americans because he's from New York. So he really understands the whole rationale and what what is the conversation that goes on in a consumer's mind. And I've learned a lot from that. You know, our chairman is based in Brussels and has was one of the earliest investors for Oatly, which IPO, you know, Vita Coco, Pop Chips and Vitamin Water. We have a board of uh, investors and uh, advisors from the head of uh, Unilever to Kellogg to Pringles to help uh, accelerate our learning a lot faster and execute better on a retail scene so we can scale a lot faster. And obviously, everyone brings their different skill sets in the, to the table and we are so privileged to have um, award-winning uh, chefs, you know, master chef, uh, James Beard Award chef, chefs who are equally as obsessive with perfection as I am to really get something that really can elevate veggies in a way that people have not experienced before. The, the mouthfeel, the taste, the nutrient density, the whole entire top, middle and base notes of flavors. Um, how can we accelerate that and heighten it and let this work together in perfect harmony so that we can get people to keep choosing veggies and fruits rather than potato chips in the long run. Mm. And the only way we can do it is execute so well in taste. You know, being a super taster is helpful because I... I get to taste a lot of stuff and, and really find out like what we can tweak it to make it even more perfect. But uh, more importantly is that no one really cares. Like, can I just um, say it privately, right? But but really, the consumer doesn't care that you're trying to save the world. No, Nobody gives a shit. Like, sorry, mm. you censored it <laughs> No, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, we mean, appreciate honesty. <laughs> But basically, in a nutshell, no one cares. Like, all they care about is I'm hungry right now and I'm going to choose a snack that tastes the best and can fulfill my, can satiate me in the most fundamental way, in the most animalistic way. And that's why we are so obsessive on the taste. And obviously, you know, how can we keep improving constantly with different innovative ingredients, with different veggies and fruits? Can we bring a kaleidoscope of colors and veggies and, you know, plants in a way that people have not seen before in a very unique way? And then you have a few nanoseconds when the consumer walks past a supermarket shelf. How can you grab that attention in those nanoseconds? And th therefore, the whole entire visual impact is so important. Yeah, and that's why, it, 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 although it looks easy, right? But there was a lot of thought that went behind it. It was yeah. many year, years and months of planning to get it to look this way, to get it to taste this way, and to give the kind of experience to the consumer uh, in, a, in a very differentiated way. And obviously, in the snack industry, it's, it's super cuts road, right? You're competing with like 5,000 other brands who want the same mm. shelf space. So being differentiated is super important. And obviously, working with a team who already knows how to execute brands is also very important. I had so many painful lessons along the way to get there. Mm. And I'm very proud to, with what we have today because of our strife and our demand for excellence and perfection. You know, we have managed to be the first veggie ship in the world to have ever been featured on the Michelin Guide. We have gotten so many awards like Best Gourmet Snack Brand of the Year by APEC Insider. We have managed to represent the best in different world cuisines. You know, we have teriyaki from the Jap Japanese, truffle from Europe, tandoori from India. We have Thai green curry from the Thai culture. And these are not 
easy brands, uh, easy recipes to execute. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at Thai green curry, for example, mm-hmm. like how many spices and herbs and, you know, top, middle and base notes that you can taste, the amount of complexity that comes from Asian culture is really, really hard to duplicate. And we had to go through hundreds of rounds of testings and playing around with herbs and spices in order to curate what we have today. So even though it's, it looks easy, <laughs> but there was like so much blood, sweat and tears yeah. behind it to really execute. <laughs> you know, the best best example that I can think of is, you know, just, yeah, I, I when you said that, I was thinking of, you know, the brand, uh, the logo that I have, you know, with the chef dog. I had to go over, you know, 113 designs just to arrive there, you know? So, you know, I, I can understand the, the enormity, especially when you have a team and, you know, when you're just by yourself, right? You have your own thoughts to play with. But when you have a team and let's just say every single team member has a different perspective and they are similar, but they're also different. I can imagine the enormous task of being able to, you know, internalize and process everyone's perspective and opinions and arrive to a central Venn diagram of, you know, agreement of how to execute. So that is a gargantuan task. And, you know, you're also talking about, you know, being a super taster and making sure that we are respecting the culture's, you know, flavors and where it comes from. Being a Singaporean and being, you know, growing up in that melting pot, you know, you understand it. You have firsthand experience and it is a culinary destination. And so (laughs) it's a lot of pressure, (laughs) you know, so I'm sure it's a huge task. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, good food doesn't have to be expensive. Like, you know, Singapore has so many Michelin star restaurants. They have all these amazing award winning global chefs from around the world in Singapore itself, even though it's a very small country. But then you have this amazing, you know, attraction of global talent into a very, very tiny little country. And that's really fascinating. Um, But at the same time, you know, we also have the cheapest Michelin restaurant in the world as well. You know, our street food culture is so strong. You know, I think a chicken rice uh, hawker got a Michelin star and that was a $2 a dish. And that was like the cheapest uh, Michelin meal that you can get in the whole world. And, uh, you know, our street food culture has won us so much awards. And we also got a UNESCO World Heritage Mark of Affirmation just from our hawker food. And these these are like plates of food that's 2 or $3 each. <laughs> so... Like good food doesn't have to be expensive, but more important, it has to be authentic to the cultures that we represent. You know, these cultures took so many years to develop, so many generations passed on from one family through generations. And Asian food is very, very complex. You know, different cuisines in the world are complex to execute. And, you know, to really pay homage to all these uh, recipes and the, the cultural story that comes behind with it is also a very important uh, thing that we want to respect. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Going back to, you know, upcycling, you know, the ugly produce in American grocery stores, most of this is not even seen. Okay. On the back end, before a gro- uh, uh, a consumer comes to a grocery store, a lot of this is already picked off from the shelves by the grocers. Right. And so, you know, if you look carefully, okay, there's specific sections in American grocery stores where it is for ugly produce, right? And they've dedicated, like my my grocery market, they have a specific section, very, very small, okay? They've reduced it down to, 
a tenth of the original price, right? And so if you don't know to look for it, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, see this bargain, right? And so how how do you how does um in your markets, you know, in your side of the world, how does o- ugly produce show up? Does it, you know, when you arrive to the markets, is it not visible to the average consumer? I guess the question is, is that how did you decide to upcycle the ugly produce? Yeah, great question. So in the sense that um, most of what the consumer sees, like and anything that's consumer facing is already perfect uh, in the sense that you walk into any supermarket, I'm not going to name any chain, but you walk into any supermarket, right? Every pear is the same size. Every apple is the same size. Even every orange has to be about the same size. At any time that there's a blemish on it, or maybe uh, orange is too big or too small, it doesn't even get curated into the shelf set. They, they get filtered out as a B-grade product. And this is something that a lot of consumers don't see. Like great, in the recent years, there's more attention and media spotlight on upcycling and preventing food waste. But, you know, until recently, it has been something that people don't know or talk about. No idea. Or a lot of consumers are not even aware of it. Like there is a middleman that filters out all the B-grade product just when it has a small, tiny little mark or maybe the size is wrong. Like something is, or it's, it's, it's wrong just because it's too small or too big or the shape of the carrot is ugly. And it just gets filtered out because they want the most perfect looking ones for their own supermarket curation so that it looks very, very good on the shelf. And that part is like, it's still good. It's still nutrient-dense. It's still really high in vitamins. It's still edible. But, you know, most of food waste that happens in the world today actually comes from imperfection and aesthetic reasons. Mm. And uh, that's why we need to work with an ecosystem of, you know, wholesalers, supply chain, distrib- fresh food distributors to actually take out all the B-grade products and the rescued products that don't make it onto the shelves and get them into our factories so that they can be sliced up and baked into snacks. And in that case, uh, the good thing about <laughs> being a snack company is that when, when you have a very ugly carrot and you slice it up and you make it to a big product, like no one can tell it's ugly anymore. And mm. the consumer doesn't care either. You know, they just know that they're eating chips that are fun to eat and they're colorful. So perfection wouldn't uh, matter once you have sliced up something and made them into a, something else, like a snack. And then in that sense, the demand for perfection is not really that, quite there. Mm. They are more concerned about the taste at that stage. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, that's the rationale uh, behind it. And also, you know, about 12% of human-caused greenhouse emissions come from food waste. You know, when all these B-grade products and crop surpluses end up in the landfill, they start decomposing, they start releasing methane gases that add to global warming. So, you know, if we are really focused on fighting climate change, then one of the biggest contributors is actually food waste. And if we can upcycle them to something else, something useful with a longer shelf life, uh, we are actually contributing a lot in decreasing greenhouse Mm -hmm. emissions as well. Yeah, that's. I'm very glad that you brought that up because my stats are around six to eight percent of greenhouse emissions. If it's risen to twelve, that's that's humongous. And you know, by upcycling, like you said, it takes it out of landfills and not contributing, you know, towards you know, you know, those temperature changes and and everything collectively. So we're gonna come to a close. I would. My last couple of questions are. So far, you know, what is a what are the customer's uh, favorite, you know, flavor, and what is your personal favorite flavor from the snack line? So the most popular skew is actually truffle. I think people really love the umami of it. It's a complex, early um, aroma that uh, is very powerful, and people appreciate that. 
you know, it's not too alienating and most people understand what truffle is and the premiumness of it. Yeah, so that that would, you know, our summer truffle and the truffle line for black truffle, for shiitake mushroom chips, the most popular ones. The Japanese flavors are also very uh, popular, like teriyaki barbecue, where you can taste like grilled top notes and the, the grilled texture of the Japanese recipes that we use. You know, obviously Japanese cuisine is very popular as well. Um, but there are outliers, there are abnormalities in uh, the geography in the US market. Like for instance, in the state of Texas, uh, the most popular flavor is actually Indian tandoori, which is really strange. I think maybe mm. people, I don't know, in places like Austin and, and Dallas, you know, maybe they are more of a hippie group and they, they like uh, to experience different cultures. That novelty mm. is interesting and the refreshing. Novelty, to them. yeah. The novelty. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say that. You know, US can be seen like many, many small little countries and everyone has different yes. preferences. You know, East and West Coast, you have a very strong diversity. Manhattan alone, there's more than 100 languages being spoken. Uh, sorry, more than 200 languages being spoken in the, in, the, in the city of Manhattan on its own. So I would say that the attraction towards novel cuisines and flavors uh, are more apparent in the East and West Coast. And obviously, being a plant-based company, you know, we are seeing a lot of uh, very huge explosive demand from both coasts yeah. because of the demand for plant-based consumption. Yes. Yeah, so we are very excited to... I mean, why must something be sea salt or sour cream and onion? It's, it's not very original and it doesn't give people that breath of fresh air. So how can we come in and really respect different cultures around the world? You know, you can experience a different culinary culture without sitting on a plane or buying a plane ticket. And can we use food as that? social glue mm. as the single dominant uh, do denominator to bring people together and to really celebrate that kind of diversity. Yeah, that, mm. that would be very interesting for us. You haven't told me what your favorite flavor is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so hard to choose. I mean, I, I love all of them. As being the founder, you're probably like, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I think my favorite flavor is not introduced yet. You know, so just I experimented with like crunchy baby asparagus with sour cream and dill. I have uh, started experimenting with like kale, veggie chips, doused in the satay sauce. Um, I have the mandarin chips that are really fun to eat. Mm. But um, those like, are my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky okay. that I was able to try them at the expo. Those are my favorite. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. And yeah. And I'm also thinking, like, you know, since I'm in America now, I, I want to, you know, I know that you have soul food that is really very integral. Like, you know, New Orleans, Cajun yes. spices, mm -hmm. or you, you have Mardi Gras and you have all these like, you know, Kentucky barbecue, Dallas barbecue. Is there any way I can go to the heart of America and take the soul food component of it and really execute something like, you know, New Orleans flavor or something very Louisiana inspired? Yeah. Um, I, we can also take that African Caribbean uh, flavors of soul food and actualize it. So, you know, being a perfectionist, there's, there's, no, there's no, no end. There's always no end. So I, you know, once I create that perfect dream snack, uh, I will let you know again. But right now, you know, I, I love all of them and very excited to see what is in our innovation pipeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. It's almost like you're striving towards 
creating like almost like a United Nations <laughs> of, of snacks, you know, you know, representing every culture. So I lived in New Orleans for a little bit. And it's you not only do you have the taste of food, you have to speak with the people, you have to listen to the music you have. It, it's so much. And so being a traveler yourself, it's just you understand, you know, what needs to happen in order in order to fulfill these experiences. So Betty, thank you so much, you know, for being here with us. Where do you see, you know, if we have a, you know, magic, you know, fortune, you know, maybe a fortune cookie or like, you know, a, a fortune ball, right? And we see your company in three to five years. What do you hope to see by then? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting you ask that question because I wake up every morning with a visual of, you know, real confetti coming down. I'm ringing the bell on the New York Stock Exchange. It's a billion dollar brand now. And I have real confetti coming down while I see the ticker behind me, like C-O-N-F, <laughs> as, a, as an actual stock, a blue chip stock, like no pun intended, but yeah. a chip company and have, being a chip on the on as a blue chip stock would be really fun for me to see. Yeah. But, you know, more importantly, can we get <laughs> veggies and fruits in a really fun, adventurous way to a mass public? And that's really important. So yeah. in three to five years time, I want to see it, you know, in available in most mass stores from... 7-Eleven to Wawa to Wegmans, Sprouts, Whole Foods, you know, in the airports, on the airlines, um, any opportunity that I can reach the consumer and, and let them indulge in, in actual fun veggies and fruits and, you know, indulge in flavors uh, of the plant kingdom in a way that they have not seen before. Yes. Yeah, I think we exist to astonish people. We exist to break some glass ceilings and mm. show people what a snack could be. Like why why like why are we as a human species? Like do we have no imagination at all? Why is ninety five percent still potatoes made of potatoes and corn? Like I mean I mean I think we are I think we 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 have evolved to this stage after so many millions of years, right? Like why are we not thinking out of the box a bit more and bringing more color into the snack owl? Yeah, so I think that it's time to shake up this industry and really yeah. break some rules here yeah, and see what we can achieve. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that progressive thinking because I think in part, you know, it's potato chips is a tried and true, you know, timeless snack, right? Um, you, you know, most people wouldn't turn it down, but at the same time, it's not innovative, right? And at the same time, 97% of Americans are deficient in fiber. Like you said, we're not getting the five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables. So I really, really, really appreciate the fact that, you know, I hate to say it, but someone from the outside of the United States, you know, and sometimes you kind of need to look at it from a different perspective to, you know, to come in and be able to create an offering, create an invitation to say like, hey, there's so many beautiful, you know, plants in our plant kingdom, you know, what is a different, unique approach to be able to, you know, go into this, right? And for someone that's already whole food plant-based and teaching people about whole food plant-based nutrition, I am constantly looking for different ways of, you know, serving, you know, uh, my patients and clients, because we like to snack, we like to graze, we like to eat late at night and all that, you know, and, th and that's a whole different conversation. But I'm really glad that, you know, you've created your company. And I hope that you achieve, you know, everything that you set out to achieve and definitely rooting for you. Yay. Thanks so much, uh, Colin. I really appreciate your time today. And I, yeah, I do believe in your philosophy that food can be medicine. And um, it's not 
like I hope one day we'll change people's minds, uh, not looking at veggies as punishment, but more like I'm just choosing because it tastes better than potato chips. <laughs> it's more fun <laughs> to eat. It should become like, a pleasure. You know, it should be permissible indulgence. It shouldn't be like something that I have to run away from. It's more like, yeah. oh, wow, because it tastes better, that's why I'm buying it. And I yeah. think that's what we are trying to overcome in terms of the psychology when we market to consumers. Yeah, yeah, excellent. For those that you know want to look you guys up, where where's the best place to go? Mm-hmm. And I think you are you are you already distributing in America so far, or you're in the pre- preliminary stages right now? Uh, yeah. So currently, you know, we have signed up with UNFI and look forward to getting to main grocery chains uh, near you soon. You know, Home Goods just gave us a PO for a thousand stores across forty nine states, so that's under a TJX banner. Uh, we are in a lot of uh, hotel minibus, you know, from Hilton to St. Regis. Um, I think the easiest way to find us now is really, you know, we are in a lot of specialty food stores across the country in trendy cities like Manhattan, Chicago, you know, California, Colorado and Texas. Central Market is our biggest supermarket chain in Texas mm-hmm. right now. And then the easiest way to get it uh, is that, you know, we ship nationwide to any postal mm-hmm. code in US and Canada. Mm-hmm. So um, snacks.com is a, a way for people to just buy it directly uh, mm-hmm. from us. And we also had a huge pleasure to, you know, fulfill corporate pantries. You know, in fact, we are supplying a Mark Zuckerberg event in Chicago this month. Um, SpaceX is quite interested in, in putting us in their corporate pantries. And we've already started selling to more and more offices in uh, large MNCs across the country. So even though I'm quite an infant in your country now, <laughs> but I think the, the momentum is there. That there's a lot of interest and there's a lot of untapped demand and potential. Yes. Uh, and in finite, we, we can scale this. Yeah, I, per- I, I personally think you're positioned very well. So, and for me, you know, if you're able to replace, you know, the freaking pretzels, you know, the <laughs> the disgusting <laughs> salted pretzels on the airplanes, I think you would have made it. <laughs> That's the Yay. only thing they offer <laughs> is, bis- is, is biscotti, right? And pretzels. And I'm just like, please give me something different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So cool. First, I'm doing an airline show in Europe uh, uh, in June next month. So we are really starting to talk to United and, um, you know, Delta and American yeah. Airlines. So hopefully you'll see it on the routes very soon. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. Betty, thank you so much for, you know, spending the time. You know, again, I wish you massive success and I can't wait, you know, for all the new upcoming flavors and what you do and uh, it being, you know, all over the United States. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Colin. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Um, Guys, thank you so much for watching another episode. If you like this, please like, comment, and subscribe. And if you feel like this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And until then, say goodbye to Betty. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Hey, guys, we hope you enjoy that episode. If you like that, please like, comment, and subscribe. And uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And if you felt that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And also remember that the first five seasons, 150 episodes, now can be seen and heard on our new The Chef Doc app. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and we greatly appreciate it. So, and we'll see you on the next one. 